Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and one day we will see Him face to face. We will see Him as He is, and we will see ourselves as He sees us, as the Scripture teaches. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see, when I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. When He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, what a glorious day that will be. You know, just thinking of this is enough to bring me through any storm or any situation or condition. His day is coming closer every day. Amen? You know, David looked ahead with hope. He had a lot of dark days where he was kind of wondering how he was going to make it through, whether he was being chased around by Saul or his enemies or, or whatever it was. And uh, hear our call to worship from Psalm 110 and hear the dreaming heart of David. Hear his vision of faith and see it with him because this is what he dreamed of in Psalm 10. He said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies, thy footstool. He was dreaming of a day like this for him. You know, one day, my enemies are just going to be something to put my feet on, you know. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and he will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike the kings in the day of his wrath, and he shall judge among the heathen, and he shall fill the places with their dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up his head. He was picturing a different world than the one he was living in. The world that he lived in was filled with Philistines and Amalekites and injustice and uh, ungodliness, but he's saying one day, one day things are going to be different. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the vision that you give us that things will not always be as they are. 
as good as the life is that we have now and that you give us, we still are in the midst of so much darkness and sin and ungodliness, Lord, and injustice. And we pray, Lord, as we look for your kingdom, that we would see it already come and that by that it would give us a vision of your loveliness and the beauty of your holiness. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that you would feed us because we are hungry, that you would forgive our sins, that you would make us like you. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said amen. standing for just a few more moments as I read my text from John chapter 8 verses 56 through 58 John 8 56 through 58 your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad then said the Jews unto him thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Let us pray. Lord, today as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our minds. As we look into your word, Lord, that you would shine the light of your truth and your gospel on us. Illuminate us. Illuminate it. Help us, O God through your word to be the cities of light set on a hill that cannot be hid that we indeed might follow your example and be the light of the world help us to shine in dark places O God to dispel it help us to see in your word what we must do today as we are called to see with spiritual eyes what cannot be seen with physical In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said amen. 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 You may be seated. We walk by faith, not by sight. But when our faith gives us sight, what we see before us keeps us going. I'm going to say that again. You ready? We walk by faith, not by sight. But when our faith gives us sight, what we see before us is what keeps us going. Does that make sense? Okay. The dream, the vision of what we uh, have faith that God is doing is before our eyes as tangible as the things we hold in our hands. We get a vision of something that becomes just as real to us as these houses out here on the road and the grass... We see things that aren't there yet. But we do see them by faith. They are not theoretical. They are not possible. They are real. They are now to us and they are the reality that we should live in. If Abraham had not lived in that reality, how could he have left his homeland? How could he have gone into, he didn't know where. How could he walk up to the altar with his son unless he could see before him in his eyes what he believed was truer than what he saw with his physical eyes. 
On the first night that we arrived in Old Orchard Beach, Maine, it, uh, our kids were kind of excited, and uh, even though it was late, we went out to the beach. And their beach is not like any beach I've ever seen. Uh, there are these big rocks, you know, and you can climb on them. And the tide comes in and comes out, and so when you get to the beach, the part with the, the big squishy sand, you know, it stops about 50 feet, and then for like 150 feet is this hard, not hard, but it's, it's, not, it's not like uh, volleyball sand. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost like concrete, but it's sand. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's really nice. It's nice to walk on, and it's soaking wet from the tide, so it's cool to your feet, and it's flat, and it's really pretty, okay? So we were out there. And, uh, you know, the kids are not dressed in their swimsuits. and The kids are wanting to jump in the water, and some of them did. They got so excited. The water's absolutely freezing. So cold, though, there are no sharks. Can we say thanks be to God? Yeah. And uh, so, so we were there, and, and the girls did not quite get enough of that. And so they wanted to, Dad, we want to, Dad, we want to go back down there. I'm like, all right, that's fine. We can go back down. So it's nighttime, you know, and it's in, we're in a place we've never seen. And they're like, Dad, we want to walk to the pier. And in the distance, about a mile away... Is this pier with Ferris wheels and and uh, flashing lights and a big pier that goes out in the water and you can see it and it's a really long way away but and I'm really tired but I'm thinking would I normally just go walk a mile in the darkness on a piece of land I've never been you know uh, I wouldn't normally do that but in the distance I can see the lights and I can see the Ferris wheels and I can I, I am almost as I'm it's, it's like I'm already there. Have you guys ever had this experience? You ever see something when you're walking? You know, have you ever been hiking? And when you can see where you're going, way in the distance, it's a whole lot easier to keep going than when you have no clue. Like, you're, have you ever done this? You ever been in like a dense forest and you're there and you're just like, I can't go on. I don't know if I can go on anymore. I'm really tired. I'm sweating and the bugs are biting me. And I don't, if you've, if you've, never, if you've never been in the woods in the summertime when you really shouldn't be in the woods, uh, you know, you're getting stung and bit and tore on every side, you know, and nettles and the whole thing. You just can't go on. But, but when you are somewhere and you can see, I remember the first time I saw the Rocky Mountains, it took us three hours, Derek, to get there. But that three hours was almost like we were already there. I'm like, where are the Rocky Mountains, you know? Our kids remember uh, our first trip to Chicago when we got stuck in traffic. And I'm like, kids, there's the Sears Tower. You know, and then for like two and a half hours, uh, we were like, there's the Sears Tower, you know, because we're stuck in traffic. There it is. We're in Chicago. The kids are, yeah, we're in Chicago, Dad. We saw the Sears Tower. And I'd turn around and the kids would be like, good, you know, the air conditioner's not working very good. Yeah. But there's something about being able to see something in the future and in the distance that's kind of like being right there. Amen? Now, this is what walking by faith is. We are not where we will be. Things are not as they shall be, but we see them afar off and it keeps us going in the right direction. It keeps us from tiring out and gives giving up and it gives us joy in what will be right now. You know, uh, that's the only thing that keeps a farmer going. He's, he, you know, oh, here we were, we were, we were in Plymouth and, and when they got here, there were just trees and Whatever, and so imagine every tree had to be cut down, every stump had to be pulled up. I mean, when you drive down the road here and, and you see these beautiful fields full of soybeans and corn and wheat and whatever, you, you have no idea. When they came, there were just trees like this everywhere. 
And in order to have a field, every tree, every stump, every rock had to be. And, and what on earth could keep a man going? But in his mind, he's like, one day, I can, already, I can already taste the corn. I can already see the result of my labor. I can already, I'm already paying next year's bills on the crop that we're going to plant in this ground. And as you work, and as you're ripping up the stumps, and as you're cutting down the trees, and as you're plowing the ground, you can already taste the food in your mouth. You can already see the blessings in the future because you believe it. Amen? That's what faith is. There are people that have faith in farms and people that have faith in, and many times they get disappointed because they see in the future what they think is guaranteed them by God, but it's not. We are not guaranteed that our children are going to grow up and they're going to serve God. We're not guaranteed they're going to grow up and they're going to marry people that are going to like us. We're not guaranteed that, uh, that they'll all want to live near you and they'll all attend the same church. You're, we're, not, we're not guaranteed that the people around us whom we all love will all be here. But we are guaranteed some things in the Word of God that will happen no matter what. God's kingdom is coming. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will trample our enemies down under His feet. They will be made a footstool for Him. And the earth that is filled with injustice and poverty and sickness and death one day will not be. And if that doesn't give you hope to do what you're doing right now, nothing will. In our text, Jesus was giving us a glimpse of Abraham's faith. His faith that saw Jesus before he was born in the manger at Bethlehem. That saw him before he bowed his head at Golgotha and finished the work that he had come to do on the cross. Abraham not only saw it, Jesus said, but he rejoiced in it. And I really think that's what God is calling us to do today. We should look to what God promises he will do, what we know that will happen. And we should, rather than be pessimistic about that, it's not the way it is right now. We can be like Abraham and we can rejoice in what will be kind of like, you know how, uh, when you know something, other people don't. They're looking all around, they're like, you know, they're all walking around in their pride and they're all got all their plans and you're like, yeah, you don't really know exactly what's going to happen to you. You know, when you've got a secret, nobody else knows. When you understand what's going to happen and nobody else does, it's a good feeling. And folks, that's what we are. We are the people of God and we're called by his name and we know that his word is true. We know that our politicians' words may fall. We know that our hopes may fail us. But the Bible says that He gives us hope that will not make us ashamed. What we hope for in Him will come to pass and nothing will stop it. He is the one that opens the doors that no man can shut. And He shuts the doors that no man can open. What God will do will not be thwarted by man. Can we say thanks be to God? This is faith defined, walking toward what God says is true, seeing it by faith as we focus our hearts and minds on it day by day, and being able to rejoice in it. That is what walking by faith is all about. Now let's remember where we are in the life of Jesus. He had performed many miracles of healing. He had fed two groups, one of 4,000 and one of 5,000 by multiplying Uh, the fish and the bread. He had walked on the waters of Galilee, cast out demons again and again, even raised several people from the dead. And although he had opened blinded eyes and deaf ears, many could not still hear his words. And his doctrine to them was suspect. And they wondered if he was possessed by a devil and they sought to kill him. They were blind and they were deaf. No matter how bright his light shined, they could not see him. No matter how loud 
his message, they could not hear him. He was making plain for all of us to see and hear in the generations to come that mankind is dead in his trespasses and sins. Everybody say mankind is dead in his trespasses and sins. He can't be shown a better way. You can show him the better way and it doesn't seem like a better way to him. You can show him where happiness and glory and goodness lies and he sees it as foolishness and ugliness and simplicity and he scoffs at it. Why? Because he's incapable of seeing it. Even if he gave them the law, God was teaching us, as he did the Jews, they would not know what to do. Even though he gave them the prophets so that they could see what he was going to do, they would ignore it. Even though he sent them many miraculous deliverers like Samson and Gideon and others, That no matter what was done for them, they still would reject God. This is what this is all about. Why did Jesus come into his own? He came into his own so his own would not receive him. It would be proof that no matter what lengths that God would go to, to make himself plain, that he would show himself again and again, and he would be kind to them again and again, that no matter what he would do, they would not receive him. That's what the message of Jesus coming to the Jews is all about. It's teaching us that mankind, even though they were given every opportunity, always rejected God. And not only did they always reject God, they hated Him and they wanted to kill Him as they did our Lord. They were not merely bad off. They were dead. If it were not for the mercy of God, all men would be lost in their sins and the whole world would be swallowed up in sin and death without redemption. Mankind would not redeem himself. He would not come to a place where he saw, you know, this is bad. I think we're going to choose another way. He would always go to death and destruction and sin. And there was no hope for mankind. That's what's so funny to me when people make such a big deal like, you know, that, that, that the fact that God is choosing people and he is predestining people and he is what he's doing for us. We would never do for ourselves. This is the truth of God's word. As we have seen in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record the same stories, but the Gospel of John, written much later than the other three, offer us deeper looks into Christ's teachings. And here in John 8, we're in a multi-chapter teaching of the Lord as He instructs in the temple after the Mount of Transfiguration on the final days of the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember this? Where He stood and cried on the last day of the feast after the priest for seven days straight had gone from the pool of Siloam, the pool of Messiah, and had poured, gotten water from that, the only source within the gates of the city, the pool that represented the Messiah, and they had poured it over the altar day after the day, and as the priest walked through the street, the people would shout, Woo! Wow! Here comes the priest with the waters of Messiah. Here he comes, and Jesus stands on the last of the feast and says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, for out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He cried passionately. He screamed and wailed from the depths of his heart for them to receive him as Messiah. But no matter how loud he screamed, no matter how much he pled with them, no matter how many miracles he did, they did not receive him. After all of this, they questioned his birthplace as we read. How could he be the one sent from God? They, they reasoned from scriptures. They thought, Showing their utter depravity, they ask Him to show them a sign. I mean, can you imagine this? He's risen the dead. He's cast out demons. He's walked on the water. He's multiplied. Could you show us a sign? 
Is there something you could do to show us your Messiah? What had he done by in front of thousands of people day after day uh, since the feast at Cana, person after person that had come to him, healing after healing of people that they had known, things that they all, oh, but they just, if he could just show them a sign. No signs would be enough. No miracles would be enough. Nothing that he would do would be enough. And he would say, you know what? They're following me. They're following to see another miracle. They're following me hoping they're going to get some food. They're following me for all of these reasons. But they're all going to perish in their sins because they are of their father, the devil. Now, why on earth would he say that about these people? Because he understood that without his divine touch, his divine intervention in their lives, they would never choose him. Moments before our text, while he was taking the word of God to them, they laid a trap to catch him by bringing a woman called an adultery. Their goal was to trap him. It's, it's kind of like if someone walked up to you and say, so have you stopped beating your wife? That's the kind of question it was. What, so if you say no, that means what? You're, you're still beating your wife. If you say yes, that means you had been beating your wife. Do you see how it's a catch-22? You know. So they were hoping to get Jesus to condemn this woman because they knew if he did, he would be breaking the law because the law had some requirements that had to do with this. And so Jesus, he, he, as they think they're laying a trap for Jesus, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge them. And then he turns the law on them and says, okay, where are her accusers? Now, many people think this story is about, let you know, we should just let everybody sin as much as they want. We're all sinners. It's all okay. Let everybody go. That's not what this was about. This was about Jesus teaching them the use of their own law. All right, what does it take to kill a woman who's committed adultery? You got to have two or three witnesses. Where are they? They're like, so why was Jesus not condemning her? Well, he hadn't seen her, right? Did he go and take her? You know, was he part of the, the crew who witnessed it? No. And so he turns around on them and he goes, do you understand that there are witnesses to me? I am a witness and my father is a witness. Yet, and everything should be established by two to three witnesses. And I have established it, but yet you won't believe me. And you want to kill me. He was teaching them that here they were thinking they were arbiters of the law of God. And they were breaking it even in wanting to kill him. They would not kill him according to the law. That's why they ended up going to the Romans and having the Romans kill him. Because legally, they could not kill Jesus. They were not interested in justice. They wanted to kill him. So after appealing to them to follow the law, that killing him would be against the law like it would be for them to kill the woman without witnesses, they still would not hear him. He appealed to them, talking to them about Moses and talking to them about David. And in an effort to trump Jesus' arguments, they appealed to Abraham. Now Abraham was before the law was given by Moses, before David was king of Israel. Abraham was a man of faith revered as the father of the Jews. If Moses and David were high courts, then Abraham was appealing to the Supreme Court. And so they appealed to Abraham. Most were rejecting Christ's words, but with each appeal to the word of God, whether it was from Moses or David, uh, faith had begun to grow in some of them, and some of them had begun to believe. John 8, Jesus responds to those people who are believing. 
He says to those Jews that believed on him, verse 31, John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. This must have been an exciting thing. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they answered and they said, we be Abraham's seed and we have never been in bondage to any man. How can you say you shall be made free? Now, even though God was giving them faith and they were believing on him, they still had a contentious spirit. They loved to argue and they loved to be right. I would caution the people of this congregation and myself included. God is not glorified through nitpicky, hair splitting arguments about the proper way to do things okay to fight and argue and be contentious is really an ugly thing they love to be precise they did not love god with and they didn't love his word but they love to be right okay i have seen if there is if there is a cancer that grows in the midst of people of like precious faith with us it is that they really enjoy being right Uh, I grew up in a church that taught us to debate and to argue and to fight and to win. And I remember at a certain point, God uh, really chastising me uh, because I used to like to win arguments. I used to like to take the word of God and just beat the fire out of people and show them where they were wrong. And it wasn't, it's not hard to do if you have a good mind and you know a bunch of scripture. You can make that, you can make it say anything you want. And I, I look back and I reflect that I was wrong about 90% of what I was arguing about, but I was just good at arguing. And this is a skill uh, that should not be taught for the sake of engaging and beating down other people, but it should be a skill. If we're going to argue, we should learn to argue with ourselves about the rightness of the Word of God, and we should debate it, and we should want to be precise for the sake of pleasing God, not for the sake of being smarter than other people. Does that make sense? They love to argue. When, I, when we were in Plymouth uh, Plantation, um, I don't know how accurate all these things were, but it is a very unique experience, and you may miss it. If you go there, you'll just go, oh, there's these huts, and there's people dressed up like characters. But if you take the time to do what, what I did when I was there, uh, you might be surprised. These people have been immersed in the study of the history of their time And in the arguments and the difficulties of their time. And that's what the guy told us up front. And he said, and if you start talking to them about it, they'll they'll talk to you. So I started a fight with a guy as soon as I got in there. He said something about the the book of common prayer being the same as the mass. And I said, it was not. And then then me and this guy get in this big debate. Now he knew that what what I was doing. And later on, he's like, man, I wish more Presbyterians would come and visit Plymouth Plantation. He goes, this was fun, you know. And uh, they were having, we argued about church membership, we argued about baptism, we argued about the Church of England. And this is, and, and three men, I spent a lot of time, and the people that were there visiting were around us. And, and the guy stopped and goes, okay, just so you guys all know what's going on, what is happening between this man and I is what was going on in the colonies right here. He goes, this was a big problem. And it was so much fun. And I was so encouraged that these guys, they were quoting scripture. They were referring to the, to the um, Old Testament, New Testament scriptures. It was pretty fantastic. Okay. And so I enjoyed it. But one of the things the guy said to me is, he, is, is this is the Anglican guy that had come and had sort of faked his conversion so he could join the Pilgrim Church. Because he was hoping to get in. They, they did not, no one was there to baptize their children. 
um, uh, Brewster, who was their local minister there, was not uh, uh, ordained. And as a result, he could not serve communion and he could not baptize uh, 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 some of the people there. It's, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to explain, but he couldn't. So as a result, there were people there and they were having babies and they were afraid if they didn't get baptized, they were going to go to hell. And so they, they were coming, please baptize our children. He's like, I can't do it. So this Anglican guy came hoping to fill that void and he pretended to join the church and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. But so he goes, he goes, you know, a little girl on the way to church, I say to her, Hey, are you, we're headed out to church. And she just says, the little girl turns to me. He goes, these, he goes, these, these Puritans are infected with this doctrine of being precise. The little girl looks at me and says, sir, kind sir, we are not on our way to church. The church is not a building. It is the people. And I was looking at the girl and he said, I thought to myself, you know, I have gone to divinity school. I do know Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I was ordained by the Anglican church and I'm well aware that the church is not a building. But I was just trying to have conversation with this little girl and all she wanted to do was fight with me that I'd use the wrong word. And he goes, and by the time I got to, to the meeting house, of course, which would be the proper way to call it, I was mad to be there, you know. And so, uh, anyway, we can find ourselves like these guys and we can find ourselves filled with argument and debate and knowledge and precision. He said, none of them know the right way to do anything, but they do know the wrong way to do it. And they will be watching you to make sure you don't do it that way. They'll complain about everything you do. He goes, but then when you ask them how to do it, none of them can tell you because they don't know, but they do know how not to do it. Folks, do we want to be like that? We don't want to be like that. Now, I don't really know if they were like that then or not, but uh, they might just be blowing it up so we can think the Puritans were bad guys when really they were great guys. I don't really know. But what we don't want to be is people who instead of loving God and his word, we love to be right. And this is what was going on. When you hear them talking to Jesus, could you imagine having a debate with guy that had, you know, risen people from the dead and walked on the water and fed thousands of people? And you're going to argue with him about the way he chooses to say something. Well, I, I don't think you're right about this. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, here he is pleading with them, taking them to the scriptures, proving who he is, that he is Christ, and they're wanting to argue with him on whether we should call it a meeting house or a church. Do you see the, do you see the frivolity and the nonsense and all that? We, shouldn't call, th- we know this building is not a church, but you know, we may list on our website to visit our church, you know, or we could change. You know, maybe it would be better to say to visit the meeting house. Okay. But is that what we want to spend our time doing? Let's have a five-hour session meeting arguing on whether we call it the church or meeting house. Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. Uncle, I give, I quit, you know? We don't want to be like that. Jesus here answers their objection, but ultimately takes them, instead of arguing with them at, you know, ad nauseum about what they're never, he's never going to convince them of, he, he changes the subject. And instead of arguing with them on what the name of the building is or, you know, whether they've ever been free or not, whether they were really enslaved by the Romans or whether they were free because, you know, Herod was a Jew and they had their own sub-government or whatever. Who knows what in the world their argument might have been. He answers their objection and he changes the subject and he takes them to the subject of faith. Verse 34 of John 8, Jesus answered, said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So he's going to answer their question. He's going to say, all right, you say you've never been in bondage. I'm going to show you that you actually have. Servant abides not in the house forever, but the son, he does abide forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, 
you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, oh yeah, you're not going to break the law and you've never been a, a slave. I'm telling you, you're servants of sin, and I know you're servants of sin, and I know you think you're Abraham's children, but the deal is, is you're really acting like the children of the devil because you're trying to kill me. Verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that that you have seen of your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that had told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Abraham didn't go around trying to kill people who were prophesying him of God's word and and urging them to do right and fulfilling the scriptures. Abraham didn't go around trying to kill people, but you are. You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, well, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, our God. They're going to argue. He's thinking that... Uh, he's really trying to say they're illegitimate, that really they're from some Philistine or some Amorite or, or they're, you know, well, God forbid they're Samaritans or something. Oh, no, we're, we're Jews. We're, you know, we weren't born illegitimately uh, out of wedlock. We were, we're not bastard children. We're, we're Jews. We're good people. Jesus said, yeah, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed from him and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? And he answers his own question. Because you cannot hear my word. Why could he not hear? Why could they not hear their word? Because they were dead in their trespasses. Dead people cannot hear. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. No matter what he said to them. No matter what miracles he showed them. No matter how he responded. They were not going to go, oh. It wasn't like he was going to formulate an argument that finally be all their arguments. You know, don't you ever hope you get one of these arguments, you know, like you, you arguing with the guy and you know, he's this unbeliever and he's really smart and he's an atheist and he's important. And all of a sudden you just, you, you lay out the argument and then he goes, you're right. You win. I mean, isn't that kind of like the secret hope of many of us? You know, we want to just beat them. They have no argument. Then they have to serve Jesus. Folks, you can have the perfect argument and it's not going to matter. They can't, they didn't, Jesus had better arguments than us, trust me. And they didn't believe him. It's not about argumentation. It's not about precision. It's not about having the great, you know, uh, what's that guy that can play chess with 12 people? The Jonathan Sarfati uh, intellect. It's not about that. It's about having Christ in us and Christ having visited them before we ever get there. That is what the gospel is about. You are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is not being kind to these people, is he? Oh, we should be nice to people. We should have a sign outside. All are welcome here. No, they are not. And no, we will not. This is, this is for the holy assembling of God's people. It is not for the unbelievers to come in here and tell us, you know, we have to have transgender bathrooms or whatever. It's not for us to just serve communion to people who do not love the church and who do not uh, obey God's word and who do not, uh, you know, follow the Lord in his word. That is not what God calls us to be. He calls us to obey his word. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinced me of sin? What sin have I done? 
And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's word. You therefore hear him not because you are not of God. Jesus is arguing the theology of total depravity. You cannot hear it because you are not of God. If you belong to God, then you would hear me. He is arguing what first what the book of John says when it says, Of his own will begat he us of the word of truth. That we are begat not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And because God was so merciful to some of us, He changed our hearts and made us ready. Then when His word comes forth, we hear it. And when we see the good things that He does, we see them for what they are. But the world who walks in blindness, the world who is dead in their trespasses and sins, they cannot. We shouldn't be frustrated with them. They cannot. We should pray for them. We should not despise them. We should not look down upon them and say, what's wrong with them? They're idiots. I mean, we watch the news. We hear them talk. What is wrong with these idiot people? What's wrong with them is they're dead in their trespasses and their sins. Just like you would be if God had not spoken life to you and changed you. And so God's remedy for this is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We speak the word of God just as Jesus did. And as Jesus spoke the word, that word lodged in their hearts and brought forth the fruit of faith. And then and only then were they able to hear his word. And they were able to see his works for what they were. He that is of God hears God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Do you see what Jesus is arguing? If you don't already belong to God, you will not be able to hear God. That's a pretty scary thing for some people. Shouldn't be scary for us to know that it's God's work and not ours should take a lot of pressure off of us. We can't save people, but we go out doing the work of it because God sends us to go. We go and we speak the word, praying that God has already visited them and changed their heart and given them ears to hear. Then answered the Jews, they said, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. So what do they do? They turn it right around. Oh, you, you know what? I think this guy must be a Samaritan, he must have a devil. He's not a purebred American. He's not a purebred Jew. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said unto him, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets are dead. And you say, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never taste death. What are they going to do? They're going to argue with him again. They're going to say that his theology isn't right. Are thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? The prophets are dead. Who, who do you make yourself? Now, the problem here is they asked Jesus a question that the answer to was not one they could deal with. They ask him, what, are you greater than Abraham? What's Jesus going to say? Well, no. Could he say that and that be true? He cannot. Are you greater than Abraham? What does Jesus have to say now? Either nothing or what? Or the truth. And so what does he say to them? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my father honors me of whom you say that he is your God, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I should be a liar, but I know him. And I keep his saying, your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Now, this was not, this would not have been a popular message in the local synagogue. I can tell you that right now. Abraham, I mean, could you imagine a guy, you know what? 
Abraham was glad to see my day. I mean, could you even, you can't even comprehend this. Abraham, he's pretty good, but he was really wanting to see my day and he rejoiced to see it. And I'm here. And just so you know, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, these are like the most fighting words ever said in the, in, 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 inside any Jewish synagogue ever. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, he was glad. Then they said to the Jews, Thou art not fifty years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. The problem was, is they were unbelievers. They were unable to hear it, and all they heard was, Well, he's a blaspheming, devil-possessed half-breed. Verse 59, They took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. I'm going to sum up with this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. How could Abraham see Jesus in his day? But he saw it by faith. How could Abraham leave Ur? Leave his family? And go where? Where did he go? What did he look for, guys? He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Did he live to see that day? He did not. Now, Jesus said he did. But we know that Abraham, he didn't live to see it in the flesh. But by the power of faith given to him by God, he could see the new Jerusalem. For by the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So they could see stuff that wasn't there. I think that's what God's calling us to, Jason. He's calling us to look at what isn't there yet. And believe it. And live that way. And that's how I live. You know, I don't look around to see if anybody sees me doing wrong. I know somebody sees me. What I do wrong, I know. I've already been seen. God is watching. He's looking at me. There are times temptation comes to me, and I'm not, I'm not thinking in my mind, well, maybe I can do this, and maybe my family won't find out about it at the church. You know what? I, I go, God is watching me right now. People go, well, that's theoretical, or he's invisible, and all this. I'm telling you, God is as real to me as you people are. I can tell you that right now. In fact, he's more real. Some of you might not be here next week, but God will be here. And he will be looking over my shoulder and he will be answering my prayer and he'll be watching me and he will be uh, chastising me for my sins. I guarantee you that. He's the most faithful friend I've ever had. And we'll get to Abraham here. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into the place where he should after receive an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing where he went. How many of you are willing to live a life not knowing where it's going? That's what faith is about. You don't know where you're going, but you know that God has gone before us preparing the way. By faith, he sojourned in the promised land as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, Jacob, and the heirs of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised they could see the baby being born. And you may, you may uh, 
have fault with them for going about trying to have this baby which they had which ended up being a bad deal through the bondwoman Hagar they should have never done that but I say that that could have even done they, they could have been thinking they can see it but we can't see any other way to have it maybe this is a way to have this happen and they were wrong okay years ago I said this, I think, I think it rhymes, and you should be able to remember it. Can you guys do it? Ready? If you're thinking of a righteous reason to sin, think again. Oh, Benita remembered it. If you think of a righteous reason to sin, think again. Here they were. God had promised. The seed was going to come. We were going to fill the earth. We've got no kids. I can't figure any other way out. We could do it this way. Don't do that. Wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord, good things happen. They that make it happen there in their own way that they can see, bad things happen. And they live with that, and the whole world lives with that problem even to this day. Therefore sprang even one of him, good as dead, as many of the stars of the sky, and the multitude of sandwiches in the sea, short and innumerable. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Everybody say, they saw them afar off. They saw, like I saw, the, 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 the Ferris wheel on the pier in the distance. And they were there tasting the french fries and whirling around in the amusement park already before they ever got there. They were walking and it helped their legs not to be tired. And it gave them encouragement and hope. And they weren't going to stop until they got there. They were persuaded. They embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Do we not seek a country, people of God, where righteousness dwells? Or do we want to live in the world now where greed uh, rules the day, where uh, injustice rules the day in so many ways? Do we believe that God is coming to judge the world with equity one day? We do. And we live that way under the judgment of our Lord, not just getting away with the, the ungodly laws that might even be passed in our day. We're judged by a higher law and a stricter law. Verse 15, truly, if they had been mindful of that country for where they came out, they might have had an opportunity to return. Folks, do not look for a kingdom to build for yourself or a life to build for yourself or a story that you want told in the earth. You need to leave it to God and you need to say, Lord, lead me. I don't care what happens in my future. I'm not trying to build the city of Cusel. I'm not trying to build the city, you know, of Montgomery. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Lord, make me a part of it, Lord. I renounce my citizenship in this world. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac because he was received the promises offered up by his only begotten son. And here's what it says in, 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 as I close here. Of whom it was said, uh, Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he received him in a figure. You see, Abraham saw Isaac alive even though he had the knife of death in his hand. He said, God told me that through Isaac that all the the seed was going to come. I could even kill him and it's still going to come somehow. And the only way I can think is if I kill him, God's going to raise him from the dead. That's why... He was able to take him up there. That's why he was able to bring the wood for the sacrifice. That's why he brought a knife. And that's why an angel had to stay his hand. Because his faith was such that, that even with the knife in his hand, doing what only pagans in that day did, he was willing to do. Because he believed God was greater even than his knife, even than death itself. And he was right about that. That's what faith is. Faith is he saw his son alive 
even though he was going to kill him. He saw a city even though he didn't know where he was going to go. Folks, what are we looking for? What is it that you're hoping for? That will determine how you live today. It will determine who you will become, what you see in the future before you according to God's word. I would pray that we would see by faith that God's will will be done on earth. Say it with me. On earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word, for your kindness and your mercy to us, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, when we hated you, Lord, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when our light was completely out, oh God, you did not blow on a tiny uh, spark left over in us that, that, that the, your wind may have blown on, oh God. It was out. But oh God, you lit the spark in us and you blew it into a flame and a fire of faith, oh God. And Lord, we are thankful for it. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. We cannot stand with the pride of our intellectual prowess. We cannot stand with the pride of our cleverness or our pride of our family upbringing that brought us into this assembly. But our faith comes from God. It doesn't come because of where we were born and when we were born and who we were born to. It doesn't come because of the good deeds that we have done. We know that in spite of the evil that we will do and continue to do in our lives, that God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, that while we are in our sins, loves us. Oh God, may we be thankful and humble, not arrogant and haughty. May it bring us to our knees and may it cause us to love people instead of look down on them and and pray that You would have mercy on them and save them and bring them to life from the death of their sins. In Christ's name we pray. And all of Foundation Church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.